Did you ever meet someone and wonder, how in the world did you not know about this person before? That, that happened to me uh, not that long ago. And the someone that I met is uh, Michelle Ollie. And uh, she, she's created a, uh, a school for cartoon artists. Um, and one of the first, if not the first, in the, in the country. And she's, uh, she's an educator. And she's an entrepreneur. And she's an art designer and artist. And uh, um, has done so many different, different things. And she happens to, uh, to live most of the time uh, not all that far from where I, from where I live. Sometimes you find these people and you say, wow, look, look what she's done. Look what she's accomplished and look at how she thinks. And that actually is the, let's call it the, uh, the job description for the perfect uh, Sid Cass guest. Um, this is Sid Finkelstein and I'm just so happy to be inviting uh, Michelle Ollie to the, uh, uh, to the studio uh, to have a, uh, have a chat. And, you know, uh, when, thinking of, when I was thinking about what, you know, what would I say about Michelle at the beginning as a, by way of introduction that I haven't already said. And, and, and the, the, the lesson to me really is uh, just doing something is, is actually a lot better than saying that you do it. And that's, that's who she is. She's just done it at time and again and again and doesn't worry so much about saying that I've done it. And, and that's really a, a powerful way to live a life. And I think there's a lot to learn from Michelle Ali. Let's welcome her to the studio. This is Sid Finkelstein, and welcome to the Sidcast. And uh, our guest today is Michelle Ollie. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Sid. How are you doing today? Good, good. Good. Uh, okay, you are a born entrepreneur. Is it true? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was just kind of thinking about your background and all the stuff you did. So, uh, I mean, that's the word that jumps out to me time and time and time again. And uh, is, it, is it fair to say it? And where did it come from? Because like, not everybody is like that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know that I would have taken that title until probably in recent years and founding, co-founding the Center for Cartoon Studies. But I guess, you know, reflecting back to my childhood, I would say I was an entrepreneur at a, you know, pretty young age uh, and probably by necessity in some ways, uh, wanting to acquire like most of us do, Mm -hmm. wanted a brand new Mm -hmm. pair of sneakers or jeans. You needed to uh, work for it and create something for it. Exactly. Yeah. So I I found myself at at a pretty young age, uh, running a newspaper uh, route in Milwaukee. I think I was the first uh, girl to take over a paper route. Hmm. And at the time, and I'm not sure how they're ran right now, um, I guess it was running a business. You know, I had to keep a ledger (laughs) of all my clients. Okay. And uh, I had to collect money uh, every week from each of them. And I had to balance the books. So I had to pay back the paper uh, for each paper that I distributed. That's running a yeah, business of so, sorts, yeah. right? How old were you when you started that? Oh, probably 13. 13. Yeah, pretty yeah, young. I 13, actually, 14. I, I, uh, I had a paper route just for a short uh, a short time. Uh, like many uh, many things other than what I do for a living now, I was not good at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I remember uh, you had to keep track of a lot of, a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. And um, uh, you know who else had a, had a uh, paper route? We spoke to, uh, in an earlier podcast, Eric uh, Fossum, who's mm-hmm. a professor here at Thayer. He's the guy that pretty much invented um, the components that make up the camera in our cell phones, if wow. you could imagine. Wow. Wow. Yeah, really unbelievable. And he said, he said something like, you know, everything I learned about business, because he did many startups, kind of like you, uh, I learned up as a paper. That's incredible. Wow. So, well, yeah. that's, hopefully we'll see a lot more kids doing that. All of a sudden, right? Well, as long as there are newspapers to deliver, that's yeah, the one no, flaw yeah, right I now. Think, well, I, and then, of course, the lemonade stand. There's a few other standbys. But mm-hmm. I think the, well, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. So, um, and uh, I also said entrepreneur because, you know, when you were in, um, you were in school, maybe in high school, you were working. A lot of hours on what was that? What was that job? I think they called it a cooperative learning um, uh-huh. opportunity. So I had somehow um, reached the required credit limit in high school, you know, to graduate. So they allowed me to work part time mm-hmm. in the afternoons mm-hmm. through a program where I would actually the intention was to learn mm-hmm. on the job at mm-hmm. a young age a trade. And for me, it was um, the one that I was most interested in was um, printing and technology. And so I was able to um, work at uh, with a company, Deluxe Check Printers, um, for probably two years, uh, the afternoons um, of a school day. Uh, and uh, it was for pay. Of uh, each school day? Each school day, wow. Monday through Friday, yeah. And it was a hard job. I mean, you know, it was an actual job, so it wasn't... Uh, 
you know, typically you think like an internship or apprentice, not always, but mm. they're, they're not responsible for a specific task every day. But right. I actually had an actual job. Uh, so I kind of punched the clock, you could say. Huh. Uh, but they encouraged me to, um, to learn different aspects of the business. Mm-hmm. And so that was a real opportunity that I couldn't pass up. A- absolutely. And at a young age, I saw also the connection to, um, you know, how you can pursue a trade and, and the different paths that I could take and yeah. maybe some that I would be interested in, others that I wouldn't. It was a great way to sample. Right. Um, could I do this job for X amount of years? Would I be interested in, in learning management skills? Mm-hmm. Or, and so I was, I was really fortunate to have... Um, to have the cooperative experience to kind of let me dabble in these different areas right, right. at a young age. Sure. Yeah. And, you, you know, you mentioned the school, so it was a public school. Yeah. But it sounds pretty, um, I don't know, advanced or sophisticated because, yeah. first of all, part of it would, would have been you, of course. You said, uh, well, you know, I got most of my credits. That That's like a throwaway line that means you're pretty <laughs> smart. And you, and you, I don't you know just, about that. <laughs> well, you kept on going. You did more than you had to do because it's not me- school is not uh, meant to be giving you a, a couple of years, I guess, you had. And, yeah. uh, and So you did that, and they let you do that, yeah. which is seems like a no-brainer, except that's not the way it is everywhere. It, yeah, but yeah. interestingly enough, I, I struggled through most of my school years. And... Um, I didn't find out till later in life that I was dyslexic because um, I was never diagnosed with yeah. uh, any learning challenges when I was younger, but my grades reflected the the struggle that I was facing. So technically, I, I struggled often in school, and I think it, I don't know that the school was so progressive, um, although I had great teachers mm. um, at this public school. Um, it was a few individuals that saw something in me uh, you know, you always hear this, and it was so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there it's were a, a few it's, teachers. It's a cliche, yeah. but boy, it is just such a powerful thing. Do you exactly. remember those teachers? Any I, of those? I do, I do. I remember Mr. Bartell. Mr. Bartell, yeah. <laughs> yeah, from Nathan uh, Hale High School. He was just a helpful teacher hmm. that saw um, that I had an interest in something and um, that I was excelling as well mm-hmm. in the topic. And I think at the time, this is going to date me, there weren't very many women interested in. Uh, the subject area of printing technology and design, at least not at my school. I wouldn't even say that the that my friends weren't interested. It wasn't mm. something they felt they could, a course they could take or a subject they could why, follow. Why is that? Probably it had to do with just, you know, traditions at the time. It most of, most so, of men weren't. Most of the guys did that. They did the physical sort of electives or courses, yeah. you know, like printing and machine shop sure. welding. And often a lot of the women would be in cooking and, you know, sewing or things that are more. Not it's, that those are great courses, and, I, and I'm glad that I also had those. Right. <laughs> but, I, but I feel um, I was somebody who probably stepped a little outside of the traditional mm. path. Yeah. Not just in class, but also in life. You know, I was very athletic and also pursued um, most sports mm-hmm, uh, and mm-hmm. excelled at most of them. You know, when you say, you know, a lot of the a lot of the, the girls did, you know, sewing class, or we used to call it home economics. I don't know sure. if that's a yeah. term that yeah. maybe that's dating me even further. But <laughs> uh, and guys would do machine shop and stuff. Uh, and yeah, we I, I grew up that way. That's the way it was. But boy, does that make me angry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I I have a daughter. She's you know in her twenties. She's often running in her career, doing doing great touch wood. But it just really makes me uh, furious yeah. that we allow these things. And, of course, it's not like it's disappeared. It was just so unbelievably blatant. Mm-hmm. And no one ever thought it was wrong. No one thought it was bad. And I, I think also about how many women of, of and we can go back multiple generations, that never, um, uh, they, let's say they became a nurse, but that's because no one thought or opened the door or said, why don't you become a doctor? Not the same wrong being a nurse, obviously. Sure. But uh, that's the reason that they did that. And, and, or, or how about this, a paralegal as opposed to the attorney. Very, very uh, common. And it's, you, know, you talk about human capital. Yeah, um, it's unfortunate. And, I, and, it, and it can also bring forth those emotions hmm. for me, even today. Um, how so? Well, I just feel like well, while we've advanced in so many areas, yeah. um, every now and then we're reminded, uh, oh, yeah. not so much by my the people I immediately surround mm-hmm. myself with, mm-hmm. because I have that choice, um, but through the media. Um, you know, it's uh, we're seeing a few female candidates to run for president this next for election. For the 2020 election, yeah. yeah. And, a, and there's a few other signals that uh, perhaps we're to the point that, that we can stop feeling <laughs> that yeah. uh, women are, are mm-hmm. not necessarily mm-hmm. um, eligible or can participate or right. encouraged. Right, 
Right. Um, so yeah, I, I it was a, it, I wouldn't say you know that um, I had a great uh, I had a great uh, upbringing in many ways and and adversity in others and I don't know I saw fortunately I was driven and I saw opportunity in a few cases and mm-hmm. I opened when the door opened I ran in mm-hmm. and um, took full advantage as best I could right. of any of right. these situations but I I had friends that weren't as um, you know, entrepreneurial. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's you what you're describing. keep calling me that. This is name calling. Uh, I, that's right. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm putting that label on you because sure. I, I see it. <laughs> well, thank you. But I, I, I think that um, I had to be driven to succeed mm-hmm. in this world um, to the point that, I, that I'm at right now, I feel. And um, I think that that upbringing made me perhaps stronger in different areas to can offset. I, can, can I ask you about that? You, used the, the, you said, I, uh, I had to be driven. Sure. So I, th- I saw them together for succeeding in life. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in a family, that uh, middle-class family mm-hmm. in the Midwest, and I'm the first, actually, I just only realized this recently, <laughs> I'm the first to pursue education. I just didn't connect First it. one to go to college yeah, from your family? Yeah, out of my family. Mm-hmm. And I have five siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, one uh, passed away a few years ago. He attempted through the military to then pursue education after, but never followed through on it. Right. He was older than me. Yeah. Um, and my younger sister finished her um, studies at the University of Wisconsin, but I was the first one you to the first one. pursue it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father had a really challenging um, life, um, was homeless for a brief period of time, really? and my mother um, spent most of her childhood in orphanages. Oh so, so I feel like you know their upbringing was better for us. <laughs> they made our upbringing better. They I mean, knew what they lived theirs, through, than and what they, they lived through. They wanted yeah. you and your yeah. and your sisters and brother, I guess, to feel have a totally different life. Exactly. So I think that was always on my mind as well. And then I just saw that strength was something I needed to be able to make it in this world, yeah. um, especially as a woman. You know, side by side, my brothers were athletic and able to achieve things, which came across as easier, you know, visually yeah, easier yeah. And, and more accessible. Um, and I had to fight for things um, often. And so I've just, you know, I've never given up that fight. And I don't feel that we as a society, can give up that fight. For any, we have several uh, um, audiences and people to be fighting for today that we're still, you know, nowhere near where we need to be. Yeah. I just, I'm thankful that I have, you know, I'm come from, like I say, a middle-class background. I have, I'm I'm white. (laughs) I've, you know, I have like a lot of privilege that I just inherited. I also have a lot of adversity from my upbringing that has created probably some of the strength that I have today. Right. I I find it really interesting that you describe your parents and, yeah, really difficult childhoods that they Mm -hmm. that they had, and probably longer than that. Um, And you know, sometimes there are people with those backgrounds that they don't quite do it. I guess they did for you, for you and and your uh, your siblings. Yeah. Um, could you could you share a little bit more about about them, your mom and your dad? Like what made them so resilient, so sure. so impassioned to 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 completely change their lives, um, and and give you all the opportunities as you as you described that you had. I mean, you created things, but you you had that chance. Sure. Sure. Well, there. Um, I'll start with my mother, who I feel was um, quite entrepreneur herself. Uh-huh. <laughs> quite an entrepreneur. She. Um, I, I was able to watch her and actually support her in many ways, um, working for her for a little while and then helping her with some design projects here and there. Um, she started a cleaning business, mm-hmm. which you know, for she was an at-home mom for many years yep. and trying to raise five kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a great uh, business for flexibility. Um, and her being able to control schedule around ours and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it was a very successful business or to the point where she had teams of people going out. You know, it actually this grew. Home, home cleaning or business cleaning? Home and or? business. I believe they also cleaned businesses as but well. See, that in, that in itself is really interesting because people with, with, that don't have a lot of money and mm-hmm. have, have kids and they got to figure. I mean, it's not unusual. People will go and clean other people's homes and it's, not, sure. and it's fine. Sure. Maybe she started doing that. I don't know. But... She created a business yeah. around it. That's just, it's just not standard practice is no, what I'm saying. No, no. And she also, um, later uh, after that, she pursued uh, 
she had like an antique store and uh-huh. uh, spent a lot of time refinishing wow. uh, furniture and selling. So I was able to watch her and help her, and I actually loved it. You know, I would travel with her to fairs and whatnot. Mm. And my father um, had probably more of a traditional path in many ways. He he pursued, um, you know, the managerial track at a had a large uh, company in Milwaukee. Mm. So he was a um, at the time, I believe uh, it was called Amer. I know it was called American Motors Corporation. Okay. AMC. Wow, well, that dates. The, that was a big. That was that was the uh, the littlest of the big four. It was. Now yeah. we're talking about another era, yeah. uh, and that's of course you know GM, Ford, Chrysler, and then AMC was kind of the fourth little bit, little bit, little little one tagging along. It's amazing uh, to think of the yeah. scale. I remember I was really young, but it was a very big company. Yep. And, you know, my dad would travel a lot and. And um, we would go to the different factories sometimes. And, you know, and he was, I think he was a, um, he might have been in sales and parts management. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. eventually moved his way up into like a vice president role. And this was somebody who didn't come from the traditional sort of education that I even had, um, even through high school. (laughs) Did he go to university himself? He never did. He pursued a few, you know, managerial courses here and there, but never really uh, pursued a degree or yeah. a certificate, yeah. to my knowledge. Yeah. yeah, this is a, a a place where there's a lot of differences with from today. In sure. some ways, in another way, I'm thinking, as I'll explain, maybe the, maybe not quite as big. So you need to have a university degree for pretty much any job nowadays, and graduate school is more and more common. For what I don't, I'm not even talking about business, it could be anything. Sure. Uh, and um, and so if you just have say a high school education, it's really really difficult. Yeah. But, but, but then it, but may then have been a it was different. But track, then I'm also yeah. thinking, well, you know, this is like a, a little pocket, but a, a kind of a Silicon Valley thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where there are people like a Peter Thiel who's uh, who's paying you not to go to university, and <laughs> you got the stories of Bill Gates and Zuckerberg. But the the problem with those stories is is people generalize from these ultra ultra outliers and say, well, look, they did it. Sure. Well, yeah, okay, they did it. Um, but you know, there was a man in the moon also. Yeah. That that happened too. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, it's a long shot. Yeah. So he he ended up, um, you know, uh, doing well in that position, and then unfortunately we saw what what probably um, now most of us re- would remember is like the failure of these major companies. So yeah, yeah. I was able to watch that at a young age. I'm he was sure. there when AMC was really he struggling. He actually was one of the people who had to help close it. Oh. So he stayed on with Chrysler, but helped close. You know, in in a in a scheduled. Um, I'm not sure when I say help, but he was one of the facilitators sure. of the closure of, of uh, part of that corporation. And this is when Chrysler bought AMC. Was that yes. what happened? Yeah, and it might have been yeah. the '70s. I lose track of time. I mean, sure. that would no, it would have technically probably been late '70s, '80s, because yeah. I would have been I was very young. Wow. It was re- just really sobering at a young age you to saw see. That. Oh, thousands of employees. Mm. We would go to these festivals. Basically, they had closing festivals, and um, there would be just truckloads and truckloads of people and the other thing they would have at these festivals often is a lot of alcohol because <laughs> you know it's a midwest and that was mm-hmm. hard to see i mean i was young and uh we just were really kind of like uh somewhat traumatized i was a little i was traumatized by it and traumatized actually that's a word that comes to mind now because yeah. i'm thinking back to the images i have for it and i remember just standing there just seeing a lot of people crying and uh. you know and trying to um trying to get through what they thought might be temporary, but mm-hmm. nothing else came along to fill that void of mm-hmm. thousands of, of labor. These were high-paying jobs uh, with a lot of benefits. For, um, well, for, my, for the managers and supervisors, but these... Well, for blue-collar workers, too, c- yeah. compared to a lot of other jobs, because sure. the union, sure. United, uh, what is it, United Auto, Automobile Workers, yeah, UAW, remember, yeah. whatever it is, yeah. they, they, you know, for blue-collar or factory mm-hmm. jobs, that was, those were known as among the best with sure. benefits, and then it was all gone. Yeah, it was really hard to watch, and a lot of his friends, you know, uh, lost their jobs, and they had families, and so we saw yeah. it was a really hard time, of course, and, it, and I'm not sure that, I'm not sure how many really rebounded from that. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I feel like that type of lesson was also learned. Maybe it's relearned by different generations. Um, so I think about our students here in the business school. Average age is say twenty, uh, twenty-eight. And so, what about their their parents? Their parents were working in a world where uh, they saw the early the earlier part of digital disruption that is ongoing. That they probably some of the, they they didn't grow up with you know iPads or iPhones or anything else. They mm-hmm. had to learn on the job. Mm-hmm. But uh, it also was an era where there was all sorts of downsizing, which is a sure. a word for firing thousands of people, but we call it downsizing, um, and um, and and just much tougher 
um, environment and a shift from a, from companies that gave you, if you worked a number of years, a, a, a pension, pension to yeah. transferring that to 401ks and everything. So they saw, I'm sure, a lot, uh, and I've had this conversation with some students over the last couple of years, and I think it's affected, uh, I think it affects a lot of people because you think about millennials today and I, I you know, they... They they don't imagine working for any company yeah. for a long period of time. Yeah. They know it's about themselves, and they get criticized a lot for that. But after what they've been watching, okay. anything else would be irrational. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's ex- it explains it certainly. Yeah. So the so back to um, uh, high school. So I'm also intrigued by this idea that you had this co-op opportunity to work. Is that something the school helped set up in, in the afternoons? I guess. In- yes. Um- because, again, I see that as unusual. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it was. I don't think, I, I can't think of anyone else who may have been doing it at the time. One or two, you know, I, they, the reason, I'm just I'm just remembering that yeah. there would only be a few of us that would be able to leave the building and go to our car and drive away. Right. And, um, you know, I, I really, I really, it was a school program. It was a cooperative program. And I do yeah. remember applying for it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My mother took me to the application uh, to the interview because I, at the time, maybe didn't have a car, um, which I knew I would soon need one. That's a, mm. That was a different, another reason, another to, keep reason to keep working, right? Once you get in the system, you can't leave. Um, but I remember, I, I do remember a very large pile of applications. Like visually, I just remember that. And I remember for this co-op, for this co-op because yeah. it was, you know, a coveted job probably. It, it was like been. paid well. Even, you know, when I look back at a few of the jobs that I've held over my career, um, that one stands out as an exception. They, they paid me well. They treated me well. It was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, very supportive. And, I, and you know, I, I don't want to say family, but, you know, Mike Flynn, my manager at the time, was just an incredible guy mm-hmm. and very supportive and helpful and engaging and tried to, like, push me forward, you know, always, yeah, like, yeah. always uh, checking in with me, trying to encourage me to learn new things. And he would say, like, you know, you're you're destined to be there, you know. And he would like point. <laughs> That's just <laughs> He would fantastic. point to like the, the I president. I love to hear those stories, and 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 I especially like to hear them. I hear them a lot because some of the work I do is about talking about those people. I call them super bosses. That's my name for sure, them. Sure, I, I like talk that. about these people yeah. that they see the potential in others. Sure. Sometimes before they even saw it themselves. And most people that have been somewhat successful in life, they can point to people. I know I can, for mm-hmm. sure. And you're describing, you know, mm-hmm. you know my name, and this mm-hmm. is pr- probably a couple mm-hmm. decades ago or whatever, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, and, uh, and so that should be, I think, for people listening that have, uh, that are in a position to do that, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a gigantic gift that actually benefits yourself because you must have worked harder and harder for this guy. Mm-hmm. You <laughs> valued the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And so... He benefited, the company benefited, and of course you did. Yeah, and you never know when these moments, I mean, you right now could be one. <laughs> I mean, we never know when these moments um, are in front of us. You are so right. So I think uh, it's something that we should probably practice all the time, give everyone that opportunity. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. recognize, too, that, you know, some people might need uh, nudging a little more than others. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, what you said is right. You, don't, you never know what the, that moment is. Yeah. Even if you're the, the younger person, mm-hmm. uh, you never know when that opportunity might come up, mm-hmm. or somebody might see something, and it's mm-hmm. all, it's it's hard to be on your A game all the time. Yeah. People have ups and downs, but actually, that's kind of what I'm thinking you should do, <laughs> yeah. uh, because when when people see the spark, um, not everyone, but some of these people, some of these super boss like mm-hmm. uh, leaders or bosses, mm-hmm. yeah. So, what did you actually do on the job? <laughs> I was going to be technical now. Oh, well, now now you're really tapping the memory. (laughs) Um, I believe I was a quality, which is interesting, a quality coordinator or some title like that. So I remember, um, you know, the the process has changed quite a bit. But when you order checks, and the deluxe check printers was probably Mm. one of the top. I remember, you know, I learned a little bit about the industry, too. So you had a couple of competitors, Heartland, you know, Heartland checks. And you'd learn uh-huh. about the different competitors because I would sit in meetings. Okay. And um, it was a very informed company. Like, mm. I, I was really impressed overall. I guess I was, you know, I've worked for others that, that weren't quite as sophisticated. Yeah. Like, they would actually bring in this intelligent information to every employee. So like even you know, to you as a yeah, like sixteen a, or seventeen yes. year old and high school kid, yeah, charts and graphs and show. I mean, it was kind of interesting. I didn't quite expect um, that sort of uh, yeah attention. You, and how would you know? It was yeah. your like first serious job? <laughs> yeah, and so a lot of it would go over my head. But so anyway, I was in charge of uh, quality, which 
um, that's kind of a broad term, but, you know, people would place an order and it would go through a digital database. And the database huh. at the time was probably quite archaic compared to today. Of course. But you'd have to match the actual proof that's going to print with the actual uh, order form. So a lot of it was looking back and forth at yeah. sheets of documents. And you had to learn to hone into what. Right. And then I would move into different areas. But that was like the right. bulk it. of the job. It sounds, sounds – um, it was very much uh, – routine and yeah. you had it, to kind of it, drink a lot of coffee to it, stay well, awake. It sounds like it was a, it was a thing then, <laughs> start, a couple of decades yeah, ago, yeah. but uh, I hear that I'm saying, well, first of all, I don't, are they still around, you know, as a They company? are, they are, yeah. That's pretty so. impressive because yeah. people don't use checks nearly as much as they, I think. I mean, I don't know the data on that, but yeah, but but I, I think they were they saw that and I remember back then uh-huh. that they would talk about this. So really? they were already you know, curious about innovation mm-hmm. and how they could incorporate mm-hmm. that into their business. So I remember mm-hmm. they were already looking at debit cards and, and uh, or not debit cards, but different types of check cards, which right. are debit cards, I guess. Yeah, and right. um, and then they were looking at online banking. And yeah, they, they were at the That's time. Impressive. I mean, I, I'm not here to, uh, you know, they're, they're not a sponsor of your show, but. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, but at the we t- don't have any sponsors. <laughs> oh, yeah, There's plenty sorry. of room out there, but we don't have any yet. <laughs> but, I, but I do remember <laughs> sitting in those meetings and, and I can, and, and I, I just found that really yeah, amazing that right, they would right. en- that they would engage all levels of the organization on conversation yeah. about this. I think also that when you describe your job a little bit monotonous and you mm-hmm. use your eyes to kind of match things, mm-hmm. I can't help but think there's some algorithm out there that can probably yeah. do that better than any human. I'm being pretty can. sure a lot of those positions are different today. Of yeah. course, of course. Yeah, it was de- it was evolving, and they already knew it was evolving, and so that was the other thing too. I think because they were so transparent about it, most mm. people knew that these jobs would shift to different mm. roles and needs in the company over time. Right. You know, and from maybe from that uh, experience, I was able to use that later. At uh, my own, in my own job, <laughs> um, very interesting. You know, at another commercial. Well, printer. let's let's yeah. let's pick up on that as we uh, as we continue our conversation. Let's take a short break and come back with Michelle Ollie. Michelle's story about innovation in a large company really brings to mind a story my my niece told me not that long ago. Uh, she works for a large global bank, and she spearheaded a, a an effort to try to cut costs through a variety of. Uh, uh, really entrepreneurial changes that were going on, and she presented her report to her boss and her boss's boss, and they said that's that's great, uh, and then proceeded to hire all kinds of new people to do parts of this job that she was suggesting, as opposed to cutting costs and being much more efficient. In other words, the opposite of of being entrepreneurial, and uh, and she's frustrated with this uh, with this large company. It made me think also about you know, how how do big companies innovate? Why is it so difficult? And, you know, you get stuck in your ways just like all of us do. But in a big company, there's bureaucracy, there's systems, there's so many levels in a company. And one of the things I tried to tackle in my own research on super bosses is how do you instill a sense of, of creativity into even established companies? And there are ways to do it. It requires individual managers being willing to actually say, okay, creativity, innovation is important. I want to help that happen. I want to make that happen. And believe it or not, that simple step takes you halfway there, the willingness to actually change. Without that, you can't get anything. And then after that, well, there's a bunch of, um, a bunch of suggestions about how to build creativity, um, a bunch of them that I talk about in, in my super bosses research and, and elsewhere. But really, you listen to Michelle talk about it in, uh, in the printing company, and you know it's a pretty good story that they still kept trying to innovate in a, uh, in a large company. I guess the, the lesson here is it doesn't, doesn't always happen, uh, but I think it's possible, uh, and you just want to try to be um, uh, open-minded about, uh, about the importance of creativity. We're back with Michelle Ollie. This is Sid Finkelstein and the Sidcast, and we've been talking, Michelle, about, uh, well, all sorts of things about your, your, your background growing up and some of the work you did in high school. You went to college, and during college, I can't imagine you just went to class and then went home. Uh, you don't, I, don't, I think I know enough about you already to know that kind of wasn't how you operated. So what, what happened? What well, did you do? Well, that's, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I, before I went to a four-year university, I decided to attend a community college. And part of that was just for practical reasons to save money, transfer sure. credits yeah, yeah. that were acceptable at a high. You know, I transferred in a 4.0, which was amazing. I never thought I would see those those those, uh, those numbers. numbers on my <laughs> transfer. But anyway, it was a it was a um, you know a practical reason. It also allowed me to continue to work, and and then eventually I went off to college full time. Um, but yeah, I was the person at uh, my college that would be shutting down the or the last person to leave the. Um, 
print shop or the studio, this, the design studio, wherever we were working. Um, and at the time, I think it might have been midnight or one. wasn't that late. Mm. You know, at the school I'm at right now, we're open 24 hours a day. Wow. <laughs> and so, um, but, but back then, um, yeah, I just couldn't turn. You can't turn off creativity. It comes when it that's wants a great, to. That's a great line. Yeah, you, you know, so for me, it tends to be something uh, in the evening, later afternoons, mm-hmm. typically evening, mm-hmm. and now even more so with my life. Um, you know, I'm, I have an uh, 11-year-old and a demanding job yep. and uh, involved in a lot. And so for me, uh, creativity might start at about 10 p.m. Um, but so I, maybe it's just never changed. I'm not sure. But so, yeah, I was uh, designing and producing uh, greeting cards, T-shirts, uh, you know, just experimenting you, with. Um, sorry, Michelle, you did this for yourself, a little business, part of a oh, program. Yeah. That's a, that's uh, I did it to sell. Uh, I did it as an entrepreneur, you I start, guess. Uh, there, there you, I just said you, the word. You are you have been labeled. <laughs> so, so I was um, selling um, greeting cards at a at an on campus retail store. Uh, that I would produce in the print labs because I would try different printing technology. I love, you know, my degree at the time was industrial technology, and I emphasized on graphic design. And so I was able to explore every type of printing, almost every type. It was an incredible school, uh, University of Wisconsin. And um, so I was able to learn several different printing techniques and then use them. They actually had the equipment. Once you were trained, you could actually Mm -hmm. use the equipment. Mm -hmm. So I would be starting up these, you know, these presses yeah. <laughs> and screen printing. Some things were just more, tr- more you know, less less equipment based, but still technology. Yep. And I would figure ways to um, to kind of push the format, whether it be the material or the design, using the technology. And that was something I did on my own. It wasn't like so, a course. So, hold on. so you did the course, mm-hmm. and as part of the course, you would use some of this equipment. Yeah, as part of, as part of the degree, I could use the equipment. I had access to this lab. That, so it, was it required for certain classes, presumably? Yeah, no? yeah, yeah. it was required to maybe produce one thing. And I what see. I would do is I would produce many things. And you go there and you experiment, you experiment, try new things. Yeah. Right. Were there a lot of other kids doing the same thing? Uh, one or two. And um, those were my friends still today. <laughs> <laughs> um, one or two would be, you know, really kind of curious and interested. Curious, and, another great word. Yeah. And so we were um, we were always testing and trying different things. And then before I knew it, I would have these these objects or things that uh, yeah. are, you know, are sellable. And I didn't necessarily imagine at the time that my greeting cards someone would buy. And I, I didn't make much money on them, but, but it was still just fun to yeah. produce yeah. and sell. And I was grateful the school which had a retail store they had a boutique um where they would sell and they had no problem carrying your no they asked actually if i remember right maybe maybe somebody suggested and then they Uh asked if if Uh i could have a line there and from that i think it just gave me the confidence to try more design work and before i knew it i was like designing logos and you know really pushing my design interest further along with the learning technology as i went along eventually um I think it was, or not even eventually, I guess that the next step for that was I was um, asked to apply for a design position at the school. So I was a graphic designer for the university for a year. Work, working for them, yep. working for the school, yep. specifically in graphic design, the things that you were learning yep. as you're going along. It was a wonderful opportunity. You created your own co-op. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> That's funny. That's true. <laughs> well, it was so much fun. And, I, and, mm. I, and, you know, it was interesting. I didn't feel like, I'm, I'm just going to admit this this year, but um, I didn't feel qualified for it, and I remember. Well, why, why not? Well, because you know I didn't take the traditional path of at the t- at this school and most schools. There's like a studio track. You can actually take a graphic design major. I had it as like a minor, you know, like yeah. kind of like showing that I'm not quite confident enough to mm-hmm. to do this for a living. So so I'm going to stick with the the more you know the the what I felt was like the the solid track, the the industrial track, right. technology track. Um, which, which, you know, ultimately it ended up leveraging, I think, a better um, outcome because I could, you know, I learned how to produce what I thought of. So mm-hmm. actualizing is something I became proficient at mm. from school on. And um, so maybe, maybe it served me well. But uh, so so anyway, when I took this job, I do remember, again, it was like the coveted job on campus. You know, it's like you get to design posters. How, you get get, to, how did you get the job? Well, uh, well, again, maybe, you know, it was an acquaintance who said you should apply for this. You'd be great at this. She loved my work. You had an interview she or was, something yeah, like that. I had a couple interviews, couple yeah, interviews. Yeah, with a, the director your, and the you manager. You had to bring some of your work. I had to bring in work, yep. And they were like, you should do this. And wow. so... 
Yeah, and, and this was this was this is going to date me a little bit too, but it was a little um, before kind of you know a lot of the desktop publishing became super accessible. So I was I was actually drawing a lot and creating a lot of material that that was original versus now you can kind of download a lot of images and you know um, right. recreate with mm. someone else's effort. Mm -hmm. But I had to imagine and create this art for posters yeah. and events. And you know one of the um, one of the things that that had that followed me and still even today uh, continues to follow me is dyslexia, and so <laughs> being dyslexic yeah. um, and a graphic designer is kind of not necessarily always the best fit. <laughs> <laughs> so you need some friends that are willing to proofread for you. Um, and my, I, I know that I know dyslexia can take many forms because mm. um, I've you know talked to several people over the years and some people actually see an image that is reversed. Um, for me, I, I don't even see, I just literally can read over something and not even notice a word. Notice um, that the word was there? Yeah, or, not even, I can, I can literally miss a word in a sentence. But still understand what the sentence was? Exactly. Well, hopefully. That sounds in, like in an advantage, cases. not a disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an editing feature that's uh, just built yeah. in. <laughs> um, I think meaning sometimes can can probably mm. change. Is it in reading mostly where, where you see it or with words specifically? Well, I think, you know, now that, you know, in, like I say, I wasn't really ever diagnosed with it. I think my mother was just too much of a fighter to let me take on a title, you know? Yeah. She didn't want me labeled. Yeah. Mm. So I never was really diagnosed with it, nor, nor I went to a Catholic school for my elementary years. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think they quite knew really how to even... Hmm. work with me on So you this. had no special, you know, attention or treatment or I anything? did. I, I went to a lot of Saturday afternoon uh, um, sessions, you know, with the nuns trying to teach me how to read, and they would just keep pointing at the words, and they, I'm like, oh. Did they think you were kind of slow? They, 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 I wouldn't say slow. They thought I was lazy. lazy. Lazy is a word that I kept hearing again and again throughout, you know. I'm not in, hearing a thing through our conversation where yeah. lazy fits. <laughs> it was just in schooling. You know, it was just with yeah. school, academics. But so so that was that, that was younger, you know, when I was when I was younger, I struggled with that. But and it, it, hints of it carry through, but I think mm -hmm. I've adjusted and found a way to work right. with it. But so to get back to um to to the graphic design job at the university, I um I had to paint this huge banner uh, that that uh, where I actually had to paint the letters, you know, of large scale. Okay. And that's that's when mm -hmm. you're dyslexic. Sometimes you don't see the air right in front of you. You have to uh, step back. And I didn't step back far enough because it was a big band. Oh, boy. And so I had this huge typo that got put up between two trees. What, what, do you remember what it was? <laughs> yeah, it was like the slogan we had, we're having serious fun, and I spelt the word serious wrong. So then I just said I did it on purpose <laughs> because we're having so much fun. That, I don't know. That, and it was that a goofy, actually worked. It was for, goofy typography, too, so you couldn't yeah. really see it till you really looked. But right. it was kind of funny. And then I think, you know, my dyslexia shows up occasionally in numbers where I'll transpose the numbers. And that's where I really, for the, when I was in my graduate MBA program at uh, University of St. Thomas, I remember my finance class in, I, 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 I didn't have struggle with it until the very end when mm -hmm. I had to like produce this long business, you know, finance report. And I kept yeah, yeah. having to redo it again and again and again. And then when I actually went through and looked at each number line by line, I found that I transposed a number. Yeah. So um, it, it must show up in numbers once in a while. We mm -hmm. have, you know, I have people around me now that make sure that we're not, um, mm. that error can be caught. And fortunately, more importantly, there's some um, applications and programs that would catch it instantly. Do you think there's any upside to dyslexia for people that, that have it? Does it, does, it, does it make any yeah. other part of your brain work differently, or? I think I think perhaps you, we might think, or at least I do. Uh, I think more visually yeah. than I do sure. any other way, and um, I tend to um, sketch or maybe draw out what I'm thinking. Um, that could be how yeah, you cope sure. with it. Or how yeah, it yeah, you're right. Or yeah, it could have been a natural. So is that an thing. advantage? I don't know. I yeah. mean, I think I think anyone with. Uh, a different way of looking at something or a different experience can contribute, right. uh, perhaps a, a breakthrough result mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. that others hadn't thought of yet. Yeah. Um, you also sometimes take a deep breath that, you know, a couple seconds before you, yeah. before you, uh, release something or show something. And, and I think I'm used to that now, you know, trying to like, trying to just reflect for a moment and, and knowing that I have that, um, I'm more compassionate, so I think it's a bit of a gift. I'm a little bit more compassionate, and I recognize mm. um, 
some of my friend, my, my son's friends um, that I see when yep. I've gone into class and, you know, talked about comics to the kids or done sure. different things with the class. I, I can tell that there's a few that, I can, you know, you can spot them in a crowd <laughs> that are struggling right. with reading and perhaps right. could be dyslexic. You know, when, when you described, you know, the, the, the nuns and the extra work you had on Saturdays and they thought uh, you, were, uh, you were lazy and I, um, I hypothesized that maybe, you know, people thought you were a little slow because you weren't picking up on it. It's really amazing, these labels, you know, and they <laughs> yeah. are damaging labels. Yeah. Um, because when, when you're a kid, you don't know. And sometimes you live up to or down to those labels. And that's another, that's, a, that's also malpractice. Yeah. I understand yeah. where it comes from, but yeah. that's not, that doesn't make it acceptable. Yeah, I, I was fortunate. I have one of these sort of great memories that's recent. Uh, I produced a comic for the Center for Cartoon Studies uh, last year on dyslexia, my experience mm. with uh, growing up dyslexic and how comics actually saved me. Uh, I was able to kind of make that connection later in life, not when I was younger. I didn't realize that comics were necessarily the thing. Uh. My father did, though. Um, I was struggling with reading, and my dad uh, noticed that I was reading the Sunday comics with ease mm. and fully engaged mm. and was always looking forward to getting them. So he suddenly just started slipping different, you know, putting comics out around the house and bringing them home and finding, you know, that back then there were a lot more comic shops, but he was buying different comics and bringing them home. And um, so he saw it, uh, that that was like a tool for me to be able to be curious about reading. And eventually I think it, it was the thing that probably pushed me over to, you know, figure out how to do this. You, so you just realized that more, like, years after that happened? Yeah, I didn't really necessarily connect it then. Isn't that interesting? Yes, um, it is. There were so many things. I was going to, you know, mm. summer camps for this, and, you know, like, there were so many things my parents were trying. Right. But um, I, I definitely, um, I'm a visual learner, mm -hmm. and um, comics help me to, to understand information, visual and text. Right. And I feel fortunate that my dad noticed it. And it's quite a dad is what that is. Yeah. And so he was able to. Yeah. Um, and he, so, so what I did is I produced, a, we, we produced these annual comics uh, for the Center for Cartoon Studies. Mm -hmm. And I, this, it was my turn. <laughs> and uh, so I produced a story on that and published a comic, drew it and published it, and we distributed it. Did you a, get a, much reaction to I, that? I did. You know, it was really wonderful to hear from so many people outside of the comics industry that mm. were like, this is great. My, this is my kid. This is my friend. Yeah. You know, I grew up like that. So That's many right. people are relating. Yeah, that is exactly right. Because yeah. sometimes we think we're the only one in the world, but there are, there's an unbelievable number of people dealing with exactly the same thing. Exactly. I think yeah. that's generally true, by the way, for like, even something really simple, like asking questions in a class. You got the question in your head, but you're afraid to ask the question because you don't want to feel like you're, you're kind of dumb. Mm -hmm. And you know how many people in the class have the same question. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's very interesting about human nature about that. Uh, yeah. We are not alone, mm -hmm. even though sometimes we are. But we're not alone. There are other people dealing with exactly the same thing. And it's another gift when you raise it, you talk about it, give people a chance to say, Thank you. Somebody else knows. And I'm quite motivated to continue um, more research and work oh, yeah. on that subject, definitely. Sure. And I think it's something that I, it's a gift to, you know, I guess the school too. I don't think we realized we'd see such a great um, response to it. Right. And we're, we're produced, we're, we're working on a lot of subjects that are outside of traditional comics, finding ways to apply comics. And this is just one fork of that. Right. Literacy. Right. So, so let's talk about it. So it's a Center for Cartoon Studies, mm -hmm. and it's in White River Junction mm -hmm. in Vermont. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you started. It was your mm -hmm. idea. I started it with James Sturm. It was his idea, technically. I joined on as a co-founder. As the um, co-founder. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, tell us who James Sturm is. Sure. So he's, know. he's a cartoonist of notoriety, award-winning cartoonist yes, and educator. And we, um, we were introduced uh, a few years before hmm. we launched the Center for Cartoon Studies because I was interviewing James at uh, a college that I was teaching at. Mm -hmm. And um, I was a director and a faculty at an art college in the Midwest. And so we were trying to recruit James, and uh, that's where we met. And at the time, I didn't, uh, you know, I remembered he wasn't going to take the job because <laughs> he was, you know, I could clearly see he wanted mm -hmm. something more independent yep. and wanted, the, wanted to be able to have a curriculum that, that suited his sort of vision for uh, teaching comics. Yeah. And so... Um, 
he didn't take the job, but we had a mutual friend in common. It was the president of the college that I was at at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he reintroduced us when uh, James had said he wanted to get this going, this idea of a cartoon school. Why did it end up being in Vermont? That was really by chance. He was here writing a, or finishing a book, um, living at his in-law's house in Heartland. And, Heartland, Vermont. Uh, Heartland, Vermont, and uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Matt Dunn, um, who he, he had been longtime friends with Matt. Matt Dunn is someone who's been involved in Vermont politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And here at the Rockefeller, and he's uh, on our board of directors. Uh, he's just, he's a he's a, quite an entrepreneur as well. <laughs> so he suggested that um, that we um, that we look at White River. And uh, there were just so many assets. You know, I, I remember flying out here. I I had never lived in a small town, and so yeah. for me, this was like radical change. It's a very small town. Very small, and then just the Upper Valley, too. I mean, like it's a general a, area. It's yeah. called the Upper Valley that yeah. includes a bunch of towns, including uh, Hanover and Dartmouth and Exactly, others. yeah. And so, um, but I surveyed what was around, including the campus I'm on right now, <laughs> and uh, the Dartmouth. Dartmouth campus, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and you the can resources. see there's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on here. So it seemed to, you know, eventually it seemed to kind of all point to White River, and... Um, the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. So how, do, how does somebody start a, a school of any type, <laughs> let alone a, a school for cartoons? How do you do a thing like that? There is no book out there for this. <laughs> <laughs> There's a market of one. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I guess we had, to, we had to rely on both of our experiences. And James had a lot of teaching experience with uh, specifically teaching comics. He also started uh, The Stranger in Seattle, was a, one of the founders of, not started, but one, one of the founders of The Stranger uh, Alternative Weekly in Seattle. Mm. So he was, you know, familiar with that, starting something right. from the beginning. Um, and uh, collectively, between my background in business and small business and teaching. And, and design and, and art design. and cartoons, it was yeah. all. And I, and I had uh, started a Ph.D. in education, so I was quite interested in pedagogy and mm. had, had uh, been involved with starting a degree program uh, at the, university, uh, the college that I was at. Yep. So, um, so I was familiar with, um, you know, what it might take mm -hmm. for stuff like that. But I don't, I don't, I don't really think you you could have a full grasp of everything that, you know, would be involved um, before you would go into something like this because there's regulation. There's, you know, so we had a lot of research and, and it was, you know, quick uh, from from concept to completion. We had maybe a year and a half, really, um, not even poss possibly a Which year. Which is very fast. I mean, we're, we're talking yeah. another startup, yeah. basically. Yeah. It just happens to be yeah. a school and yeah. it happens to be a school about yeah. uh, about cartoons. Sure. Right. And so one thing about about the cartoon world that I'm curious about is, um, maybe the word is now graphic design or graphic novels. Gra yeah. Graphic yeah. novels. They seem to have taken off like crazy. They have. Yeah. What's what's going on there? Like, what? How well, did I that think all I think uh, you know now is the is the time we're just so immersed in a visual culture, hmm. and um, students are are your I guess the young readers are more and more used to uh, having visual information in yeah. front of them, yeah. and there's a, there's just a um, uh, a, a great uh, right right now. There's a great interest, and in it. it's been continuing to grow for years since we opened the school. We are maybe on the forefront of this, recognizing that there would be more interest in material that is non-traditional or that is, you know, now it's becoming traditional graphic mm. novels. <laughs> but um, visual learners are, are abundant, and um, and also it's not only just uh, something that we see um, with young adults, but um, all ages are appreciating graphic novels, and it's a it's a format. It's a it's a way to be able to share uh, stories in a visually stimulating and perhaps in a more engaging way. Yeah. Uh, there's so much that you can convey within an image, um, and artists that we work with have so many stories to tell. Mm. And to be able to have the the vehicle of the graphic novel or comic, I mean, we produce anything from like our students are producing anything that's saddle stitch to square bound. Yeah. And in being used also in education for PowerPoints, presentations, being used in healthcare um, for communicating. Um, comics are an incredible tool. It's it's a yeah. form of communication. It's a mm -hmm. form of storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, it's a yeah. That's what that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, or you can go all the way straight into that being. Um, the graphic, the graphic novels, and I think we're starting. I don't know if we're at the point of inflection or not, but I'm seeing um, 
they're not graphic novels, graphic stories, let's call it, cartoon-based stories, mm -hmm. in mainstream magazines, not like as the main thing in there, but, you know, for a page or two or three in there. Mm -hmm. And I never saw any of that. that. And I didn't grow up with that other, I mean, I grew up with cartoons, but this is a totally different level. Um, you know, Archie and Veronica cartoons, if you go way back. <laughs> or Richie Rich, the poor little rich kid. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we've definitely evolved. I, th I see it as a more efficient way to communicate yeah. and perhaps a more engaging. And I know librarians tell me again and again that um, their patrons will check these books sometimes out more than once. Mm. Um, they can't keep them on the shelf. Uh, so this is this is a take note maybe moment for <laughs> yeah there's something for, that's happening here yeah and and it's a, and it's the younger generation yeah, that's demanding yeah. more titles so we are we are seeing a lot of publishers interested in in our students Absolutely. and alumni work and um, we're seeing um, more titles come out than than we have since we opened the school right. um, and I think uh, at least the last report I saw and and this is consecutive for multiple years now that graphic novels the fastest growing. Uh, market within the publishing, you know. Or, That's very interesting because publishing yeah. in general is not doing particularly well. So yeah. the, here's a segment that is. Mm -hmm. And and by the way, so the, the digital movement for everything has no real bearing here. It's you, you have the cartoon. It could mm -hmm. be on a piece of paper or a book. could be, you know, you could look at it on a screen. It mm -hmm. doesn't really matter, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. the same type of thing. It could be in any form. Yeah, yeah. great. So um, let's take a, a, a quick uh, break and come back with Michelle Ollie for a last segment and a few more questions I still have in the back of my head. This is supposed to be a commercial break, so let me give you a little quick commercial for, for the SIDCast. Yes, the podcast you're listening to right now. If you're enjoying it, if you like my conversation with Michelle Ollie, well, tell your friends. Tell uh, people you know. Subscribe to the whole series, to the podcast, and the more people we have, I think the more exciting, the more energy we're going to have. If it's, uh, you know, everyone's always looking for what, uh, what can I listen to? What, what should I watch? What should I see? And the best recommendations always come from, from people you respect, from friends and from families. So uh, if you like what you're hearing, please tell everyone. Okay, we're all back with Michelle Ollie, our last quick segment. Uh, Michelle, you've, you've done a lot of things. You've been, a, 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 as I said many times, an entrepreneur, but also a woman entrepreneur um, doing a lot of different things. And you probably have, uh, have dealt with uh, some challenges. And, um, uh, and that's a problem that we alluded to a bit earlier that has not gone away whatsoever. In fact, maybe it's being recognized for one of the first times mm -hmm. with the Me Too movement and, and other things. So it, could you share a little bit about kind of your own, your own experience, what you had to kind of work your way through? Sure, sure. Well, oh, which one? Oh, that's a bad, <laughs> right there, that's not a good answer. Well, no, <laughs> which you, know, one? you know, I feel like I, um, I always, I always um, equally recognize that that the, um, the, you know, I was grateful for the opportunities that I had, but within mm. even some of these systems, mm. so the companies that I maybe worked for, right. um, there were systemic, uh, you know, issues. And um, one in particular that comes to mind um, that I guess, you know, I, I actually relived even uh, in recent years the pain really? of it. Yeah. I, I've, I you know, I was, I was a, a manager at a, at a major um at a major publishing and printing company. I think at the time it was a second in the nation, pretty mm. large company. Mm -hmm. And I had kind of accelerated up into a, a position and, you know, felt like I kind of had, you know, great opportunity, great job, living the dream sort of. <laughs> right. And um, and I liked who I worked with. I liked what I was doing. Um, but slowly uh, I started to hear conversations uh, from other women of discrimination concerns they had because hmm. it was a closed salary. It wasn't confidential how much each of us were compensated. It was or wasn't? It wasn't. It was so confidential. Knew. It was confidential. Yeah. yeah. But the women who were talking were, of course, sharing their knowledge. Yeah. And eventually somebody made it to a human resource position uh, in a senior role. And so mm. they had a full snapshot of things. Okay. And... Uh, you know, we were talking quite a bit, but fear was certainly something that I had. You know, I didn't. Fear about. I, I, th I think, you know, at the time, if if I had called out something too, you know, made too much noise about it, yeah. um, I kind of felt that that could follow my career. I really, I mean, a mm. lot of us talked about that. There, if we were going to stay in the field, this would be something that could there be. There people would say exactly the same thing today. So we were a little frozen, you could say, for a while. Yeah. And then when I say a while, when, once I became aware of this, I might 
only be looking at a year because I, I then accelerated fast through it. I didn't have a house. I didn't have a mortgage. I had a house, but I didn't have like, you know, a kid, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, wasn't married at the time. I just felt like I was able to also respond to this. So as soon as I found out that somebody who technically worked for me in a different facility in a different state even mm. um, told me when I was out visiting him once that he told me how much he made and I hadn't been given this information yet. You know, I was somewhat new to inheriting a lot of employees in the in, in different parts of the country. And so anyway, under my job and uh, my new job. So anyway, I was out meeting with him and, and he told me how much he made and it was more than me. Okay. <laughs> and, he, and he reported to you? Yes. Yeah. Why would he tell you that just out of the blue? He, I think he caught himself right away because I mean, I think well, he that's was... That's an odd thing to say though yeah, to anyone, let well, alone your boss. No, he was a nice, he, yeah. you know, he was somebody who tried and I think like okay. he didn't mean to and sure. okay. and, and then he caught himself and Anyway, it was really unfortunate, but it was fortunate that I, because I suspected this and then to know it actually came, you know, was so close to home with Mm -hmm. my friends too, colleagues that I worked with. And so it might have been like the next week I quit. I just gave notice. You gave notes. You didn't. You didn't <laughs> oh, go I, talk to your boss. I talked boss, to boss and all this. I talked to everybody that I needed to, and, and um, I, 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 you know, I, I was driving home after giving notice, yeah. and um, I, I had already, to be honest, I had already been offered another opportunity elsewhere, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like I was leaving without some net. Right. And um, I'm not afraid. At least at that time, I wasn't afraid to sleep on a couch. I didn't have, you know, a lot of obligations. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um, I just felt I could do it. But so uh, on my way home, uh, I received call from the president of the corporation. The president of the whole company. <laughs> of our division, you know, of like which, which, so was, which was a, you know, probably like uh, $300 million division. So he was, he was a couple or several levels. Two, two up, yeah. Two up. And he, uh, he called me and, you know, was trying everything to get me to stay. And offered me the world, you know. Did he like, know why you were leaving? I, I said because you know I, I said that I explained. Yeah, he knew why. But what but what I'm what I what I wanted to say is I was also called by the HR VP, and uh, everyone was calling me, and mm-hmm. I think they were possibly afraid. They were afraid. Um, but I said that uh, that it's unacceptable, and I don't find that their quick fix now is enough to repair. You know, they they have a lot of work ahead of them. I'm not the only one. And this is to think that that they're treating women like this and that this has gone on for so long um, that I couldn't live with myself being there. And um, even if you would pay me double, (laughs) even if you would offer me everything I wanted, they offered me a lot. Yeah, I'll admit, you know, I never quite heard those figures Uh. before. And um, but I I was so determined. Mm. I was so determined. and, And I... Remember just feeling like such conviction and, and you know, just strong. I felt very strong. Yeah. And I was definitely going to a lower paid job <laughs> mm-hmm. because I was moving into higher education. I was, I actually was curious uh, about what that would be like. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I really wanted to different teach learning. different challenge, yeah. different opportunities, helping to start a degree program right. and, and then heading up uh, media, media and or publicity and marketing, you know, a lot of opportunity yeah. just in learning. And, Absolutely. and so I was, I, I, I remember, I remember feeling very strong about it, but then also just feeling kind of, you know, wow, they did that to me for eight years. Mm. And um, so every now and then it comes back to haunt me um, that, you know, that I didn't, you know, push that a little bit further. <laughs> yeah. uh, the they, frustration, it's one thing to quit, but I'm just one person and, you know, yeah. in a corporation of and several all, thousand. And, and all the other people, other women staying there, it's not like they were getting a call from the president. No, I felt that, I felt, I felt though that I was saying a lot by walking out. I felt, because I was very well respected there. I'm not just saying that to brag or anything, but yeah. I just was. Yeah. I was like, you know, uh, I, I enjoyed working there. I I feel like um, I had a lot of friends, a lot of respect from mm-hmm. all different constituencies involved, including right. their customers. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. by me leaving so abruptly and so with so much confidence once I found this out, mm-hmm. Um, that that sent a signal. So I did hear from people from time to time about Afterwards. potential reaction. I see. Um, you know, there were a couple of women that were uh, joining forces to perhaps counter. Do you have any uh, thoughts or advice for um, women listening right now that uh, either suspect or know that they're either getting, um, well, let's just say get, being underpaid relative to the male, male colleagues? Well, I will say that my friends at the time that I work with the female coworkers were... Um, 
uh, incredible asset to have, you know, that um, we could speak in confidence with each other. Mm -hmm. And we didn't need to do this at work because we were friends. So my departure probably came after someone just before me and then two or three women after me. Really? You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, there were so fair. there was a, a peop, oh. people were, were were kind of voting with their feet on this. It was a pretty big deal, yeah. And then I'm I'm pretty certain that uh, some people may have sued the corporation. But um, what would what would what would I say today to yeah. make sure you're maintaining those friendships mm. to with other you know, women, other yeah, colleagues? Yeah, or or I think you know we all we all can support each other, and we right. did through this. Mm-hmm. Actually, there was a group of us, and I'll tell you that all of them have gone on to do wonderful things. Mm-hmm. And they are out there in this in the, in the business world being quite successful, and I can guarantee they're not repeating this. So I think, like, you know, practice what you preach. So for me, it was like I believed that something was wrong here, and I like to stand up for what I believe yeah, in. That's right. So what choice did I kind of have at that point mm-hmm. other than to leave? Um, I didn't want to be the woman heading up all the change there, going against the grain, the only one at the time, because I did feel it was systemic. I felt like even if we had three of us doing this, a 1,000 or 2,000 employee company, um, I had better things to do with my time at that point. I made my I made a significant impact by leaving, and I felt like it sent a very clear signal. Yeah. Um, there was no gray area as to why I was leaving. So it was very clearly spelled out in my letter. It was very, very clearly articulated to everyone I spoke to. Um, so a bit of a broadcast. Sure. Um, and so in subsequent jobs, I know you said you went to a, a, the next job in mm-hmm. education. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a, lo- a lower-paying job in general, mm-hmm. but much higher in terms of value to life. Let's mm-hmm. just add that and things that you can learn compared to almost anything else. But be that as it may, did you take that lesson that you learned and apply it uh, for other jobs or other uh, other opportunities you had? Um, and if so, how, how did you do that? I mean, did you negotiate more aggressively? Uh, did you, I mean, how do you I translate think, that into action? I do not think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think I guess that that's, a, that's another good you know, maybe maybe a recommendation would be for for women to you know to make certain that they're and, and negotiating more aggressively. The research shows, by the way, that that women are much less likely to negotiate uh, when they get a new job or when they get their annual review. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I've heard th- I've heard this, but I but I feel that's something maybe we can all work on. Yeah. Um, and then again, I I, I feel like um, I'm keeping an eye out for for those that I can support and those mm-hmm. that I can help. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I think, you know, we can all bring this back to our future, you know, future opportunities to, to prevent. Uh, I guess, you know, we can prevent this, right, in whatever companies that we run and whatever companies that we're involved in. We can stop this um, and then encourage young women to pursue what they're interested in and help them along the way. Right. Uh, provide internships, provide opportunity for them. And I think keeping that door open and keeping clear communication and, and creating a support network as well. Right. I didn't feel like I was alone in doing this, you know. Even though you were the one kind of saying goodbye, I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah, and, you know, I felt, I felt, I, I do remember feeling quite, like, uh, fortunate that I could. Um, because, like I say, I, di- I didn't have children. I don't know today if it would be, yeah, you know, the yeah. pressures of, uh, the pressures of uh, life, um, I, get, I, get, I get it. I'm sure certainly slow down mm, conviction decision it, Yeah, I often talk about, uh, not necessarily in this context, but people uh, trying to get a job where it's fulfilling, where it's exciting, where, where they're valued. And, you know, it's one thing to say it. It's quite another to do it when you're the, um, the, the breadwinner or one of the critical bread, sure. breadwinners in a family. Sure. And you got a kid or two or three and you're in, the, you're in a community. It's, you know, I always try to be a little you know, humble about that. It's one thing to say, do it. What's wrong with you? Stand up for what you can do. But boy, the price you might pay in the short term. So as you say, you at that particular stage in life, you were, you you, you had less to lose than some people that would have, you know, been in a different scenario. And they they should do it and they have to do it. It's a matter of uh, planning to do it. If you can plan, like I planned my exit in many ways. I had a brief period of time to do it, but there was, there was some planning, right. you know. Um, I just accelerated the other offer. <laughs> I think it's a great point, by the way, uh, which is, uh, and it's not meant to be just, you know, that every company should be on the lookout or whatever, but I think we always should be networking, uh, always should be thinking about what the next option or multiple options are. Optionality, when you have choices at something, is one of the greatest things you can do for yourself, for your family, for anyone mm-hmm. else. 
and we're talking about jobs, but it could sure. be all sorts of different, all sorts Anything. of different things. Yeah. It also will lead to much more happiness, in fact, because you're not now forced to do something. It gives you control, some degree of control, sure. over your own life, which is which is what people want. Exactly. So, um, last uh, last three questions for <laughs> us. Okay. So, uh, well, you've had a, a career of lots of learning, continuing to learn all kinds of interesting uh, changes and developments along the way. Let's go back to when you were 21 years old. And imagine you can go back and talk to yourself. <laughs> Sit right next to your 21-year-old self. What advice would you give her at that, at that time? Oof. Keep drawing. Keep painting. Paint more. Draw more. Mm. Create more. Yeah. That's exactly That's what I would do. Create more. Including music. Including, you know, because I, I play the piano. And, I'd, you know, in some ways I sometimes wish that I had pursued that. Yeah. I just feel creating more and feeling less... Uh, feeling less pressure or driven to, um, to follow the more traditional path. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, great. Um, mm -hmm. And um, let's talk about a mulligan, another one <laughs> of my favorite little questions. I mean, you've done a lot of different things, so it's a bit of an odd question for you, but, I mean, there's been a theme of design and creativity all the way through. Um, but can you imagine some other career track that you may have taken, or even sometimes you may have said, boy, I could have done this, or I could have done that. What, what would that be? Well, I think it's still kind of uh, maybe, maybe I'm boring. <laughs> I think it still falls in within the umbrella of creativity. Um, I sometimes had a desire to compose music, and mm. uh, I don't know. That's kind of a little out there, maybe for me to yeah, yeah. to say back at 21 that that would have been something. But um, but not necessarily uh, 21. Oh, just now just thinking any, about okay. it. Okay. Yeah. 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 But I still I still feel like um, pursuing more of like a fully engaged creative. Uh, Career, so yeah. I, so I do, I do feel, or not career, but just uh, you know, pursuing more with, uh, yeah. with producing and making art. I feel like there's a lot of happiness that comes out of that for me. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of enjoyment with mm -hmm. spend even even in spending time with my family and friends around it, mm -hmm. and I enjoy looking at art. I enjoy, um, you know, any aspect really that. If I, if I could have, if I, if, I, if I would do it over again, I think I would probably tell myself to stay more in that area. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, so it, it, it turns out to be not just that I find it an interesting question. Um, hopefully all the listeners are finding it interesting too. But uh, it's, to me, fascinating because most of the answers that we're getting from you know, different, different folks that we're chatting with are more or less in the same line of underlying capability or purpose or self uh, or identity of who we are hmm. and it might be a completely different track hmm. you know I, 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 I've said you know I'm, I'm, I'm a professor I write books I consult with companies uh, but I like to solve problems that's the underlying thing I love tough kind of challenging problems and so what else could I have done well I, 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 I've said I could have been a police detective of course I probably couldn't but police detectives have to solve important sure. problems so it, it, it's, it's interesting yeah? hmm. alright last, last question um how did you meet your partner? <laughs> <laughs> I met my partner at a uh, dance party in, <laughs> believe it or not, in uh, in White River Junction in a small little town. <laughs> wow! So a dance party where probably the entire town was inside the dance party. <laughs> and so you saw. I just saw them across the room, and we actually had probably maybe met in passing. I know we had uh, yeah. met in passing, but yeah. it just kind of at that time it just dawned on me like, oh, look at this person here. Right. And. Um, that was really wonderful because I, I, I just didn't, I, I don't know, I get so wrapped up in my life that raising my son and working that mm. sometimes I don't give myself enough attention to think of like, what would my personal, you know, who am I going to, yeah. who am I going to be with or what would I do? Right. And uh, so anyway, we met uh, each other in the comforts of our zip code. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, people meet in all sorts of different ways. And everyone I'm asking, of course, it's almost, I think almost without exception, pre-online uh, dating. So it goes to show there is another method up there. Exactly. <laughs> Michelle Ali, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Seth.